Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Fikri, the podcast where we explore the intersection of Islam, culture, society, politics, and all the other issues that affect Muslims living in the modern world on a daily basis. I wanted to make a slight note today uh, on the name change of the podcast from Heart Talk to Fikri. Um, if you listen to this podcast when it was first published, uh, we had originally called the podcast Heart Talk, uh, but we felt that we needed to rebrand the podcast slightly, for lack of a uh, better word, to signify and better align with what we were actually trying to do on the podcast, which is to stimulate discussion and uh, thought about what Islam has to say about the variety of issues that face us every day as Muslims. So I hope you enjoy the podcast and we're very excited uh, to hear your feedback. Please uh, look us up on our website, www.fikri.net. That's www.fikri.net. Or feel free to email us at thefikripodcast at gmail.com. And enjoy, inshallah. Salaam. I'd also like to apologize for the inconvenience caused by our sound recording. You may hear changes in the volume throughout this podcast. Again, we apologize for this issue. We're very honored to have... Um, uh, Sister Elizabeth Hansen with us on the podcast uh, today and uh, she's a big role model and mentor for many of us uh, looking to educate our children. So uh, Sada Elizabeth, could, if you could just give us uh, a little background about yourself and where you grew up and how you kind of got interested in, in homeschooling. Sure. I grew up in California, Mill Valley, California, the suburb of San Francisco. And I grew up with two very different parents. I had a mother who was very, she was very active in the civil rights movement. We just grew up with a sense of being very open-minded and very, um, to some degree, non-judgmental, but mostly just accepting of other people in other ways. And that was, that was really the gift, I think, that she gave us, just looking beyond the labels and seeing who the human being was. And on my father's side, he was, he was from the East Coast. My mother's from the West Coast. My father was from the East Coast. And he had a very prep school upbringing. He was a very scholarly man. And I think at some point he realized that, it, that, that the system wasn't where he found knowledge. And so he, re- he really set out on his own journey. And he was probably one of the most well-read people that I've ever known and he was also after he passed away I wrote I just one day started writing down a list of all the subjects that I used to call him about that he really could have probably lectured on at an advanced level and the list was so long and I just realized he he was just he he had such a thirst and such a love of knowledge and I think he passed that on to us and and he had a very unique way of he always saw right to the heart of a matter he really understood human nature and his great love was Shakespeare, the plays of Shakespeare, and, and, 
And in that really is the secret to the heart. And so I think he passed that on to us. So we grew up in a family where our gifts, you know, for birthdays or Christmas from our father were always books. They were classic books. And we grew up at the library in our home and just books everywhere. And so that was our upbringing. We just, we always loved reading. And, and um, we were always, I was always very fascinated with just understanding the workings of the mind and, and when I was about 18, he gave me a set of the great books, and that was just, that was gold to me. And so, and so that was our, that was our, I think that was um, really what set me out on my journey for trying to find truth and meaning in life. And as a young child, because my father was a teacher when we were younger, he, he then went into the oil business, but he was a teacher when we were younger, and I had always wanted to be a teacher. And I think from my mother, because we'd had this holistic perspective growing up, and I'd also always had this love of health, that I actually went into Chinese medicine. That became my profession. And then from that, I moved into education. And I realized because I had this holistic upbringing and because I had this holistic training in Chinese medicine, I actually was able to take that and apply it to education. And so I think it actually gave me a neat uh, perspective on understanding education and just seeing where the problems lay and how to resolve them. And so it's just, and from that I had children and I moved into homeschooling. Um, obviously I, I had gone through the public school system and I knew that it, it had, it really did not serve its purpose as far as my own experience and from what I've seen of a lot of other people and from what I had uh, really come to understand as, as, I dove into this world of education, and so I, I felt very certain it was not where I wanted my children to be, quote, educated. So I decided that I would homeschool them, and that opened up this whole journey in trying to provide curricula for other homeschooling families and trying to educate people about the, you know, just really the superior quality of an education at home uh, versus the system. So, so that's largely how I got into my work and where I'm at today with it, you know. What kind of, uh, I mean, there's so many things we want to ask you, especially because we, we listen to Sheikh Hamza sure. as well, too, and uh, we're always so impressed by the, like, the clear evidence of, like, that classical um, education. education and uh, background. But what, what kind of problem, like, what, when you talk about problems with the education system, things that you see in the system that you really felt that were problematic, that you, you wanted to bring your children up uh, outside of the system and homeschool them. Like, what, what kind of problems are you talking and, about? And this is a really important, you know, piece that we, we want to hear from you because sure. you know, so many people, you know, our age, you know, starting young families, they want to know, you know, like, you know, we have this beautiful gift of a child. Now, how are we going to raise that child uh, right. to be the best that they can be, to be close to God, to have a great sense of ethic and morality? Uh, and, and to be the best that they can be, you know, to, uh, to, to explore that fifth thought that's inside all of them. So, uh, to, so going back to Amir's question, uh, you know, what was that difference that you saw? Well, just to jump way back, when I look at my pictures as a kindergartner, first grader, I just, I saw this, you know, young girl with just big bright blue eyes who just looked ready to learn. And... And then I juxtaposed that to the 18-year-old who almost didn't graduate. And I had to ask myself, what happened? And whatever happened took place in those, those classroom walls. 
because all children start out with an innate, we're just, we, we have an innate love of learning from the minute we're born, we're learning, right? And that's how we come into this world. And typically when children reach, by the time they go into first grade, and I think now with the push for early education, you know, so many children going into preschool and in kindergarten, much more than it used to be when I was younger, you see children actually losing their interest in learning at earlier and earlier ages. So I think the first problem is that it doesn't nurture our innate love of learning. And I think it'd be, the public school system and even a lot of, you know, just, it's not even the public school system anymore. It's really any system that follows a public like school program, which a lot of private schools today do too. But the first problem I think is in the fact that we start educating our children too young. So traditionally children did not study academics until they were older, around six, seven years old. Even in the Islamic tradition, the teaching is to let our children play for the first seven years. And the reason because, first of all, they have a physical body that they need to develop. And until this body is developed, and to, there are certain systems that have to be developed, the proprioceptive and the vestibular systems, and until these systems are developed, the body is not second nature to a child. And until the body is second nature, they have to concentrate too much on how to use their bodies, how to hold a pencil, how to sit still in a chair, how to follow the, the letters in a sentence. And these are all, this is, these are all parts of the system that get developed those first seven years. So when you don't allow children to develop that physical body, then they're like, they're physically not ready to learn. But the other thing is that they have their brains developing and they need to be able, you need both the right and the left side to communicate. And this actually doesn't even begin to take place until they're about seven years old. So reading, which is usually the first skill a child learns is both right and left brain activity. When you teach them prior to the age of seven, it's just it's a right brain activity and it's not true reading. And so even though they can read and a lot of it is sight reading, most of it is sight reading, as they get older and into more difficult literature, they, they lose the ability to, um, to, to progress. And a lot of children, though they can be good readers when they're younger, they lose that interest in reading as they get older because it gets too difficult and they can't, their comprehension is not there. And they also don't have the enjoyment that comes with being able to form the pictures on the right side of the brain while you're decoding the words on the left side. So when you, when you teach children too young, at too early of an age, you're really doing it at the expense of their natural rhythm, the way God designed them to develop. And the most important thing that's happening in those first seven years, it's not about intellectual development, it's actually about the, the development of the emotions. It's really about the heart, the development of the heart. And that's what Daniel Goldman points out in his book, Emotional Intelligence, is that a precursor to, first of all, morality is a sound emotional foundation, but it's also what people need in order to live happy lives. So if, if we don't have a sound emotional foundation, it affects the quality of our relationships, our ability to even maintain relationships, which filters out into every aspect of our life because everything is based on relationships, right? I mean, our families, our work, everything. And the morality issue really has to do with our relationship with God. So if those first seven years aren't given their due, 
ultimately it's really getting in the way of our relationship with God because we have to have a strong moral foundation. We have to be able to have the emotional discipline to do what's right and not what's wrong in any given situation. We need to know the difference. And so this is what gets compromised when children are put into these early education centers too early. Now, when I was growing up, preschool, and the history of preschool, it was designed for children who are latchkey children, their parents, their mother. Usually the father had either been in the family or he had died. <clears throat> so the mothers would have to go out and work and the children would be left on the streets. And so wealthy women on the East Coast started to create these little centers. And these morphed into our, our preschools. In the 60s, it was basically a government way of babysitting the children. But then this whole, um, you know, had start all these early education programs started. And it suddenly became this place where every child had to go if they were going to get into the Ivy Leagues, right? So a child's being in preschool, instead of being equated with poor mothers, was now equated with education success, therefore the better job. Therefore, the better life. I so, want to speak a little bit about, you know, I want to hear your thoughts a little bit about education and success. What, you know, what is the success look like in education? And, you know, it, it, you know, both in an Islamic sense and just, you know, you know, it, it, how does, what does a successful education look like? Well, that's a good question. I don't think that's one answer. I mean, ultimately, I think education is about self-knowledge because if, I mean, especially if you look at the Islamic tradition, it's incumbent upon every parent to educate their child, which means that no matter where you live in the world and no matter who you are, no matter what social class you're, you're born into, that you have a right to an education. So when you really think about that, the only education that you can't be deprived of is a knowledge of yourself. And so I think ultimately education has to do with self-knowledge and also knowledge of God. I think there's a very deep connection between the two. And, and I think part of that has to do with being able to think correctly about the world, to not be fooled and distracted and tricked into thinking things that are very unimportant and trivial within the context of our entire life and our ultimate destination which is death are made to seem important and the things that are vitally important like what are we doing here and are we spending our time in the right way and when we get to our final destination are we going to be prepared those things are trivialized not spoken about so I think on the bigger scheme of things, that's the importance of an education. It's the ability to, to think correctly, and it's the ability to know yourself, and it's the ability to grow close to your God. Uh, within the Western context, I would say that all the same is true, with a focus being on the ability to think correctly, which means, and also, in terms of success in one's life, why are we here? Everybody's here for their own God-given reasons. And we don't know what the potential of each child is unless they're put in, they're raised in an environment where it can be realized. And so when we raise our children thinking 
you know, my son's going to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. We're really not acknowledging that, that maybe that's not what God meant for this child. Maybe he's destined to do something completely different. You know, you're, you're saying heresy to uh, children of two Pakistani parents. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also, Amir is a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I'm yeah, but I mean, this is everybody today, and right? I'm just finishing articling you know, for a long And it's in our culture, too. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny that you said about that. You look at pictures of yourself. Uh, Sorry, parents. I'm sorry. <laughs> when, when you yes. look, it's funny that you mentioned that about looking at pictures of yourself as a kindergartner and then uh, uh, and then looking at yourself as a picture as an 18 year old. Because you know we're we're going to talk a little bit about why we started homeschooling. And it's okay. funny because one of the big things that our my my mom like kind of it struck a chord with her is that. I think I was in grade three or grade four, and uh, I started when she would say, "Oh, well, why don't we read this book?" She would, I would say, "Well, that's not that's not part of our homework. Like, we don't, I don't really need to read that." Mm-hmm. And that really like bothered her because uh, it, it to her it set, signaled that that love of learning was was gone. But and I think we're set, t- touching on a, a really important point because. You know, on the on the one hand, we have the the true ideals of what we want our Islamic education to look like, knowing oneself, having a relationship with God, knowing why we're here on earth. And then there's like the the things that people worry about, like how is my child going to have a good job? How are they going to go to university? You know, so how do you address like, that? Like, do they do they get like a good understanding of chemistry and physics yeah. and math, and do they get good marks so that they can succeed? How do you, how do you, what do you tell people who ask you that type of a question? Well, let me just finish on the, up on the happiness factor. I think that for people to be truly content in their life, they have to be doing what they love. And that comes from a passion, a passion that you have for something or some things. And that that has to be realized because a lot of people are, in fact, most people are in jobs that they don't love. And also a lot of people are not good at what they do. And I think they're not good at what they do because they don't love what they do because people who love what they do are good at it. So on the practical side of things, I've never heard of homeschooling children whose parents, uh, you know, were very involved, which most homeschooling parents are. I mean, and I can speak to the families that I know very closely in the Bay Area and, uh, you know, we were in a homeschooling group, and so a lot of these parents had children, my children's ages, but they also had children in colleges. And I think the record is that homeschool children tend to do very well and tend to get accepted into the college of their choices, and that even the Ivy Leagues go to the homeschooling conferences to recruit homeschooled children because they make better students and because I think they're more likely to succeed in whatever they do in life because, again, I think they have found their passion and their love of, of what they're doing. And the Ivy Leagues, according to John Taylor Gatto, who's had very intimate conversations with admissions officers, aren't looking for high, high test scores. They're actually looking for interesting individuals. They're looking for people that are either going to do very well financially, in which case they're going to give back to the school, or people that are going to become very well known in a field, in which case credit goes back to the school. So this idea that homeschooled children might be at a deficit when it comes to higher education is completely unfounded and not proven at all by 
by historical records, it's actually the opposite is true. The other advantage that homeschooled children have, which I think I think is in their favor no matter what they do in life, is that they tend to be better socialized. So there's also this myth that homeschooled children are not social. Yeah, that was one but, of the yeah. questions we were that about to like ask. That was the main question oh, we asked. Because everybody would ask us that too. Like, a, yeah. how, how, do you, uh, how are you going to get enough quote-unquote socialization? It's always if you're, like an odd question. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like as if, as if <laughs> school is like the purpose of it really, it kind of reveals some inherent, uh, you know, truths that, you know, school isn't really about school. It's about a whole bunch of other aims and objectives, not, not necessarily quote-unquote an education. Yeah, I think, um, well, when you look at children, first of all, socialization, social skills, any skill has to be learned. It's not something you're just born with. Some people are born with, you know, different strengths, different weaknesses. So some people might be naturally more inclined to be social, in which case they'll practice their social skills more, like extroverted people. Um, but most people have to, you know, most people are being civilized into society and they learn their social skills as they go along much of which is taught those first seven years joseph chilton pierce said if you want to see who who your child will be as an adult look at how they play when they're young and plato said you can learn more about a person in an hour in an hour play than you can in a year of conversation so i think that um i think when you have children in a classroom with children, 30 other children their same age, and a teacher that they're not really interacting with on a personal level, they have no opportunity to develop social skills because they can only socialize at the level of that sixth grade class. Whereas when you have children who are outside the classroom system, structure and the school system, and I'll use my children as an example, my children interacted with younger children, children their age, older children, teenagers, young adults, old adults, aged people. They could converse with anybody. And that's typically what you'll find with homeschool children is they're very easy to have a conversation with because they tend to be very interested in a lot of things. And they're not, they're very comfortable speaking to people of all different ages, whereas school children tend to get very nervous as they get older, especially speaking to adults. It's really hard to start strike up a conversation with a middle school or high school student because oftentimes they just they just don't know how to converse with you. So I think definitely homeschool children are at the advantage when it comes to social skills. Like this idea of and then when you, uh, this idea of school children being, being better socialized is really a fabricated myth. There's just nothing to, to support that. On the contrary, and, and I can go back to my own schooling, and it's so much worse now. You learn the worst social skills in school, and you're just exposed to really things that children in normal families are, would not be exposed to otherwise. So, and, and, and now it's, there's just a lot of, um, <coughs> with the multimedia, a lot of the programs, really being based on disrespect towards each other, disrespect for family, disrespect for parents, adults. I mean, there's a very, there's just a general sense of disrespect in the culture today. And of course, I'm speaking for America. And so children learn Canada this. Canada is immune from disrespect. So. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, these are the programs that children are watching and it's, and, the, and this is the ambiance in public schools. So I think it's very different when you're homeschooling your children. And my experience and from what all the studies show, homeschool children are far more socialized, they're better socialized, have better 
social skills in school uh, children in public schools. Maybe maybe just as a background, because maybe some people don't know what homeschooling is. Like what when you say homeschool your children, like is that homeschooling? Is that unschooling? Like what when what 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 do you have in mind when you when you I talk? Think, about I think it's an important question because it tags onto the social question. Because I mean, a lot of the kids that I see now who are homeschooling, really, what that means is that they sit all day in front of a computer screen. Yeah. And they like they then you know engage with different materials. Uh, which, you know, may, you know, there's a lot to learn on the internet, uh, but there's also, you know, a lot of potential problems with that, even just in terms of building social skills and just going out there and interacting with nature uh, and doing things that are, you know, relevant and important. You know, that's almost a whole other conversation because you're talking now about the, the cyber schools. I don't think of cyber schools when I think of homeschooling. I... I wouldn't even, I think it's an insult to home homeschooling to include cyber schools in the equation for so many different reasons. But when I, let me just tell you what I think of when I think of homeschooling. Traditionally, what homeschooling meant was a parent who, for whatever reasons, decided to remove their child from the public school system and teach them at home. And this could mean bringing in a tutor or teaching them yourself. And historically, too, if you think about it, aristocracy were always tutored at home. They never went into public school systems, which I always think is an interesting fact because what you learn when you're at home is to be your own leader. And it's not what you learn in the public school system. It's actually quite the opposite. So, and I know it's a little bit different in Canada, but in the States, I call it public school at home. A lot of people are signing up as homeschoolers through the state. And they're subjected to all the state regulations and the standardized testing. And it really just becomes a public school at home program. To me, it's really missing the spirit of homeschooling, which is really to keep learning alive. And again, to nurture the love of learning in your child and also to help them find that passion or their passions in life. And also learning becomes something that, it's really an extenuation of what takes place in childhood. Children are always learning, but it's a natural way of learning. So I think the homeschooling environment is more like that. I think there's some subjects that you do need to have, you know, to be structured with. I think it's really important for children to learn language arts and and so I think especially grammar. I'm not very big on writing courses for young children. I actually think it's not a good idea because I think much of writing is is really discovering your own style. And I think when you impose rules at too early of an age, you can hamper the, the ability to discover your own style. But I, so I think, um, <clears throat> sorry, I just left my train of thought. Oh, no. We'll have to edit that. <laughs> no, no worries. So, so what, you, what you're saying is that, um, uh, that for, for you, homeschooling is. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah. That, so, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> So I think there's some subjects that you do need to be structured about, but I think there's a general spirit of learning that comes with with homeschooling, and and I and I, I don't think that can happen when the or I think it's much more difficult for it to happen when the children are homeschooling through the state because they have a whole regimented program that you have to follow, and I think it's a 
I don't want to say it's impossible, but I think it's extremely unlikely when children are learning in front of computers. I, I, I really think that's just completely missing the point. So in the States, like if you wanted to homeschool, you have to register through the state and they, like, what do they do? Do they have people come, like you have to take regular tests that school children would take and then those are sent to a facilitator or like, how does that work in the States? In the States, no, you, um, in, well, every state is different. Okay. But homeschooling is legal in all 50 states. And in California, it's one of the easier states to homeschool in. We have the, uh, you have a choice. You can either homeschool through the state or you can homeschool independently. I homeschool independently and I always encourage people to do that. It takes five minutes. You fill out an online form once a year. It's actually this week. And it takes, you know, it takes literally five, ten minutes to fill it out. And that just registers you as a school with your students as the pupils for that school year. And you keep attendance records. Obviously, you have to keep records of their schoolwork, but that's all you really have to do in California. Yeah, and, and so some other states are more stringent, and some are actually, some are actually a little bit difficult to homeschool in. Like we were in Pennsylvania, and it's very different there. You actually have to have a, a teacher approve your work once a year, and then they have to file that with the state. Um, so there's different ways they do that there. So, again, it's not some states are more difficult than others, but it, it is legal in every state. And when we when we were homeschooling, uh, actually Edmonton has quite a lot of resources for uh, homeschoolers. So we would we could we, there was like a homeschooling center. I think for us, similar kind of what you were talking, we had to show like we had to basically review our work <coughs> once or twice a year and keep records and stuff. But it initially, especially for elementary and and middle school, was very uh, you know, like as long as you weren't. Uh, you know, not doing I, anything. Yeah, not doing anything the whole year, and you could show portfolios that you were you were working on something. Then you know it was really up to you to to do whatever you wanted. So that right. was really nice. Yeah. Um, what you know, I think a, lo a lot of people will would wonder like, well, why why should I homeschool my children, and why not, why wouldn't I just send them to an Islamic school? Like, um, what what why 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 do you, do you think it's are they are these two in opposition? Like, what you, what do you think about uh, uh, sending children to Islamic school and Islamic school per, as opposed to homeschooling? And we're not meaning a specific Islamic school, just in general. Why would you choose to homeschool versus going to you know a general in general to an Islamic school? You know, I think there's some criteria that school needs to meet for for me, and if they don't meet it, they can actually again, hurt the child's natural love of learning. And so I think the first, and, and these are the criteria that traditional schooling always followed. So the first thing is that children need to be able to move at their own pace as opposed to being taught in a group to the average. Mm. They need to be able to move at their own pace because there should be no competition. Learning, learning is for its own sake. There should be no competition in learning. It's so you're not, you know, today you see it's all about the test scores. And to the degree to which you give prizes for learning is the, is the degree to which children don't learn for the sake of learning. And so you want, you want them to love learning. That that's, should be our primary concern. We want our children to continue to love learning because their life should really be as, you know, it should be a life spent in pursuit of knowledge. 
and that's our tradition. So it's very important that children are allowed to go at their own pace because they also need to be able to master a subject, right? And this is how children typically get behind is that they, they're not up with the average and they've got to then go, you know, keep moving along with the class. But it's very differ, difficult to learn something when you haven't no. developed a foundation for it. So it's fair. So you want children to have a sense of really mastering something before they move on. So even if it's you know something you're teaching in grammar, you know, like just let's go to verbs. I mean, child needs to understand what a verb is. I still don't understand. Right. What a verb is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just jump up and down. You'll get it. <laughs> but before they can move on to more you know complicated language structure, right and so you want, so they need to know them. And also they have to understand the importance of knowing something well. If you're learning everything piecemeal, then you just lose that sense of doing a good job and wanting to do something well. And so I just, I think there's so many negative messages that go in, that come with this process of just pushing people along the treadmill with everybody else. And so I think it's so important also just for a sense of their own in, 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 independence their own individual being it's this is who i am and this is where i am right now and that's perfectly fine <laughs> do you know as opposed to children that are putting these groups and they move along with the group i mean these children that don't do well really suffer and they know boys that are taught to read too early where it's frustrating for them half of those boys will drop out of high school and on the other spectrum are the children that maybe you have a child who's very gifted in language and they're moving along very quickly. Oftentimes these children just get very bored. So they're just, it's all very negative learning experiences. And learning at your own pace for the sake of learning is the most wholesome environment that you can teach a child in. The other thing is the the age segregation as you know again it comes back to socialization when you have children with other children of the same age all day long there's no real learning that takes place in that where you have a, a classroom and this is how our traditional schools were in this country the one room schoolhouse and you have them in Canada and it's when our literacy rates were at the absolute highest but you have children that are in classes of mixed groups, mixed age groups. And what typically happens is the older children help the younger children because the teacher can only do so much. And the younger children, because they're always overhearing the lessons of the older children, tend to skip one or two grades. It's very common, very typical. And because they see the older children learning, they want young children always want to do what the older children are doing. And so they just they try really hard. It's just, it becomes a very positive learning environment. So you really need those two factors, self-paced learning and mixed age groups. And the other thing that Most is of crucial... Most wouldn't, wouldn't exist in you know, typical Islamic schools. Well, the t the t your typical Islamic school follows the public school model. Right. I haven't known one that didn't. And, uh, so at least down here they do. Yeah, we would say the same thing probably. Yeah. yeah. And then the other factor is grading. Mm -hmm. Again, it comes down to the test mentality. If you you don't want children graded, because I mean, either they know the material and they move on, or they don't know it, in which case they continue studying it until they do, and then they move on. But once you start issuing grades, again, you're you're really 
you're just putting a knife in that love of learning. You just you you want to support learning for its own sake. That should be the the concern there. So grading really gets in the way of that. It actually creates the opposite. Suddenly children are learning for the grade. It's also Charlotte Mason said she really discouraged grading and she said that it really bred injustice in children's hearts because the other thing that's really interesting about learning is that it comes from God in part because they're called intellectual awakenings. You can teach a child you know, a certain concept of in math, like just say multiplication tables, and they're not getting it, they're not getting it, they're not getting it. Suddenly one day just clicks, right? Because it's suddenly they've gotten this awakening and it all makes sense. So if you take a group of children and you expect them to all get that awakening at the same time, they're not going to. They're not designed that way. And then you test them. And some of the children do really well because they, you know, came sooner to them. And what about the children that weren't quite there yet? So it becomes an injustice to them. So again, these are just negative experiences with learning. And we, we want to avoid that. We want to keep the learning environment very positive. And we want it to bring out the best in a child. And we want it to always be nurturing their, their curiosity, their interest, their fascination with the world. Because that's, that's what a child's born with. I think on some fundamental level, people uh, think that learning for the sake of learning is uh, somehow in opposition to, the, to this idea that, you know, you can still be... Uh, like, I'm telling you, you know, what people our friends and our our, our uh, family members said to us when we started homeschooling is that the, it's not, somehow it, there's this perception that learning for the sake of learning and for the love of learning is uh, somehow opposed to future success, uh, you know, in a sort of worldly perspective. And it's kind and of, you know, this, this kind of like hippy-dippy thing where... Yeah, like, like you know, yeah, that all sounds great, but uh, we still want our children <laughs> to become... the real world. Yeah, like come, come back to the real world. I think well, like people on think some... of it as a waste of time. That's yeah, what it comes down to. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, if you look at the great people in our history, if they did not feel passionate about learning, they wouldn't have done accomplished any of the great things that they did, right? Like our scientists, our philosophers, yeah. even our historians. It's because they had this love of, of wanting to know more wanting to discover more of being curious like how how does this work why is this happening yeah I'm a very practical and that's that's a love of learning so it's actually the opposite the, the irony that we're beginning to see now is that these children that are being put through this system are really lacking in imagination and creativity I mean NASA they when they give their when they interview somebody for a, a prospective position, they ask them if they played in childhood. They're finding out that people that are coming into management, the the younger managers now are doing such a poor job because they can't problem solve anymore. And they, they're studying this, trying to find out, okay, what's happened? And they're finding out that they were all missing play in their childhood or they didn't have enough of it in their childhood. So actually the opposite is happening. We're, we're having a deficit of people that are creative and imaginative and can problem solve. And because all this comes from a love, of curio a love of learning, it's from curiosity, from wanting to know more. And this is what we're socializing out of our children in the system. So it's, it's interesting, but we're seeing the opposite effects. We're actually finding that 
it's not a waste of time. It's actually vitally important to everything a child does and will do as they get older. I think that one of the things that a lot of our listeners might be thinking is that, you know, so one of the things that my dad, my dad once when we started homeschooling, he went and listened to this homeschooling educator named Oliver DeMille. And, uh, you know, in this lecture, Oliver DeMille said, if you want to give your children an education, go get one. Um, and this had a profound impact on my dad, uh, you know, who decided that before he wanted to teach us anything, he wanted to go and learn about it himself. But I think a lot of parents kind of conversely are really worried that they might not be up to the task of homeschooling. Um, like, you know, especially where there are parents who, uh, you know, one parent is working a lot or there's someone who's a single parent uh, or both parents are working. They kind of wonder how is homeschooling going to be possible? Am I up to the task? You know, maybe it's just better that I send them to school so that I don't mess up my child's future. Do uh, you think that's accurate in everybody? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think, again, it's one of those, it's the myth of the expert is what I call it. Mothers are always teaching. That's what we do. And our children are always learning. And for some reason, once they become of the age where they should go to school, it's suddenly we're no longer capable of teaching them. And suddenly we have to hand them over to the expert. And these experts, as John Tedegato points out, when you think about it, it really does seem a bit insane. They're complete strangers to our children. We have no idea who these people are. And they'll be with our children for years. And sometimes these children are three years old. They'll be with, their, with our children maybe for a year of their life. They'll have 30 other children in the classroom. And they will have no idea about who our, children, who our child is. They won't love them. They won't care about whether or not they do well. And I don't mean, I mean, teachers do care. I don't mean to undermine a, a you know the teaching in a, a teaching profession but it's just that they don't have the time they're not given that time to really bond and and get to know our child and and for some reason we think they can do better jobs than we can and i just think this is completely untrue because we're the ones that love our child the most. We're the ones that care about our child, and we, we care about them doing well, and we know our child the best. And so I actually think mothers are best positioned to formally teach their children than anyone else, as long as they have an interest, as long as they have a desire, and they have an ounce of patience. Now, this has all been studied, too, by Raymond and uh, his wife, Dorothy Moore. They studied this, I think, 30 years ago, and they found that all a parent needs is a desire to teach their child. It doesn't matter what your educational background is. Because when you're homeschooling, you learn along with your children. Because the truth is, most of us did not receive much of an education. I can say that for America. Really not, did not receive much of an education in public school. And compared to the kind of education I'm thinking about when you're homeschooling your children. So a parent who can just stay one step ahead of the game, which is all you need to do in your homeschooling, is much better positioned to teach their own children. And it's one of the perks that comes with homeschooling is we get a chance to re-educate ourselves. Because when you think about the world of knowledge, it's so vast. And it's, you know, what we actually learn in the school system is so small compared to what we can learn that there's so much flexibility when you're homeschooling. And as a parent, again, we, we just get this chance to dive back into the world of knowledge in a formal way again. 
So if you're somebody who loves learning, if you love reading, I, I think it's a wonderful opportunity. And I, I don't think any parent is unqualified except for the parent who doesn't want to teach. And then I do think that's a mistake because I think, I think one of the important hallmarks of a good education is having teachers that love teaching and love the subject that they're teaching because it's that love of knowledge that gets passed on to a child. And that's, that's one of the shortcomings with the whole cyber school industry is it, it just doesn't happen in the same way. So what, for when you were homeschooling your children, what was a, like a typical day like? What kind of things did you focus on in terms of their curriculum? And uh, like what, what were you, how did you set up their, their curriculum? Sorry. Sorry, we're just going to pause for one second while we turn That's okay. Our sisters. <laughs> Our sisters' uh, cell phones going off. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so, yeah, so so for, for your children, when you were homeschooling them, what, what sort of curriculum did you follow? What was a typical day like, um, if you wouldn't mind, if that's not too personal a question, or if you wouldn't mind sharing that with us? Yeah, that's fine. Uh, we didn't really have typical days. Yeah, I, yeah I, I, I just wasn't that kind of a homeschooler. I didn't start teaching my children until they were seven. I waited until they were both seven to teach them to read. Um, my son, because he was younger, two years younger than his sister, begged me when he was about five, and so he learned how to read in about five minutes, and then he didn't read, he read for the weekend, and then he put books down for about two years, so <laughs> neither of them started reading formally until they were seven, and by the time they were 10 and 12, they were reading and discussing Shakespeare, so this idea, and my daughter used to read about 200 books a year, and I was just talking to another friend whose daughter read 300 books a year. So this idea that this early start gets them ahead, I, I mean, I have firsthand experience. It, it really doesn't. My children became avid readers, and, and they could read at very high levels at very young ages. That was the first thing I did. Is I just let them have a childhood full of lots of play and adventures, and they spent time out in nature. We used to visit my mother-in-law. She had a ranch, and so we would... Um, they spent a lot of time gardening and just being on the land and doing fun things there. So I, I gave them a normal childhood, a childhood that children 40 years ago, pretty much every child or most children had. And then when I started to teach them, I started with, and I think most homeschooling, I don't know how it is now. I mean, this was 18 years ago or actually 11 years ago. My daughter was 18. Um, I started using a classical curriculum. I actually put one together, and I, I wanted to follow the classical model. But I think as the years went on, I realized for children it, it was just a little too structured. And so I, I you know, incorporated more flexibility into my schedule. I found their best learning was hands-on, doing things out in the world, um, Science is best taught in your backyard. It's the best place to start teaching science. You, you can teach them about clouds, the formations of different types of clouds. You can teach them all about the plants and the trees and the life cycles. I mean, the, I, I have a backyard right now that's just full of, and it's not a big backyard, but it's just full of, it's like a science classroom. So you really just need a little bit, a tiny little space to teach science for children. But the more hands-on, the more they tend to be, the more it, it sparks their interest and the more it stays with them, 
because it's direct learning, they are immersed in with all their senses in this learning as opposed to reading something out of a book that's very unrelated to the fact that they're sitting in a classroom. So I think the more you can just get children out into the real world, travel is wonderful. I, I was able to live in several different countries with my children during their education years. And again, when I think about education, I, I don't just think about book learning and, and, and facts and information. There's also the education of the character. And I actually think that's more important than anything else. So my children were able to live in Morocco for a year, which, you know, they really came face-to-face -face with poverty, which growing up in the Bay Area, they, they really hadn't seen much of. And I, I know that really impacted them and really changed their perspective on life. And just being immersed in different cultures and understanding that people do things differently and people think about things differently and, and that my way isn't the only way, that there's many other ways to do things and to be, I think, I think things like this are, are so important for children and really impact, you know, they, they impact them, they change them for their, the rest of their lives. And, you know, getting children out to do volunteer work, to help other people, um, both my children, because I had my kids when I was older, so they, they both helped me nurse my, uh, my parents when they were older and, um, you know, just this multi-generational experience, which we, you know, it's still still fairly prevalent in the Muslim community, but really not much at all in the Western community. But just, you know, being with older people, helping to take care of older people, teaching them to serve, to think beyond themselves, to care about other things, you know, other people and, 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 and other things in life. And raising them to be good people to understand the difference between right and wrong and, and understand the, the vices and the virtues and, and to instill good habits in them. These are really the things that we want to be focused on when we're raising our children, keeping them at home. And, and it's, or when I say keeping them at home, I mean just keeping them outside the system. And when I think of homeschooling, I don't think of being home every day. I actually think it's much more uh, people are much more successful when they take their children out more and get involved in things in the community and outdoor things. Um, but we, we always want to be focused on character development too. So my children just had a very wide spectrum of learning experiences. They had, they had structured periods, they had very unstructured periods. They traveled. Um, they, they really did a lot of different things. Um, so, you know, when you're homeschooling, it's, and again, it depends on how you're homeschooling. A lot of people really do, you know, they sign up to the state and, and they do a very uh, strict day-to-day -day schedule. And when I think of homeschooling, I don't think of that because I, I, I think that it's that kind of learning that really stifles the spirit. It's funny, when we first started homeschooling, then, uh, you know, my, my brother and I were both, he was in grade four, I was in grade five, so... First thing we did when we came home, like we didn't uh, have anyone else who really has role models or an example of what to do for homeschooling. So the first thing we did when we went, we that first week, we made like a big uh, uh, timetable and put like okay, nine to nine fifteen, we're, nine to nine fifty, we're gonna do this. Nine fifty to ten is a break. Ten to eleven fifty, we're gonna ten to ten fifty, we're gonna do this. And then we made the cardinal mistake of laminating it. So we couldn't change it. <laughs> and we quickly realized like after two weeks that there's no way we're going to follow this, this uh, like artificial bell ringer 
yeah schedule so <laughs> well, a lot of what you're saying it it's amazing how much it resonates, it resonates with us uh and what a like a common experience uh that that, we, that many homeschoolers have and, and we're not the only ones who've had such a similar experience and my mom always used to say that homeschooling is a bit of a misnomer because we were rarely in like in home like at home we were always going yeah. out and like <laughs> learning or doing something else you know right. with the community just to learn so if right. if, there, if there are other young young parents listening to this who want to start homeschooling do you have any advice for them or uh, any resources final, final words, yeah. and well young parents implies young children so for those parents i would say take it easy <laughs> just let your children be children enjoy their childhood with them i just see so many young parents so stressed out because they've got their children into programs or they're even trying to homeschool them at home and they're very very young and i'm thinking my god it's like they're not even seven and it's the kind of stress that most parents might not experience until their children are juniors or seniors in high school but it, you know they're already experiencing it three four years of age so i would say for these parents just take it easy and really let you know just enjoy your children and the best way to teach children at this age is is to give them give them an interesting environment take them outdoors teach them about god's world teach them about nature um and just and and instill good habits in them in those early years, and 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 teach them to do things for other people. I think those are the most important things that you can do in the early years, as far as as far as their character and their academic um, laying that foundation for academics later. Being out in nature is very very important because they do need to use their bodies, and they also need to have they need to uh, challenge themselves physically. So free play, and I don't know if I mentioned that earlier, free play is what's important. Structured play is not the same. It does not have the same benefits as free play. You want children in free play as much as possible. And also reading good books to them. And so I have the Law Schools curriculum, and I have a whole preschool kindergarten program. It's mainly a reading program. I focus on the classics. Very important to read good literature to your children. To give you an example, about 150 years ago, your average book for a child had about 465 vocabulary words. And your average book today for the same age has about 125. So we've really lost a lot of our language skills. Very important to read classic literature to children because they do have this vocabulary and they do have interesting sentence structures and they all have moral themes. So they're learning on so many different levels. Modern literature does not meet this criteria and because a lot of young parents find it difficult to judge between you know what's what what's a book worth reading I, I think to be on the safe side I always tell people just stick with the classics so that's what I would do for young children until they're about seven once they are of the age where you start teaching them I would I would prepare yourselves by learning as much as you can about education. I would study books by John Taylor Gatto. I would study books by John Holt. I love the Charlotte Mason series. It's a homeschooling series. It's six books. You want to go to original sources. Try not to buy books that other people have written about educators. You want to read from the educator's um, words. And I think that would be a really great place to start and also educate yourself about what's happening in the system today so you understand why you don't want your child in it. 
I don't think anybody can really, I, I, what I see is that unless people understand that they're at some point put their children into public school, but I need, you need to understand why, why you don't want your child in public school. Cause you, homeschooling can be challenging. Mm-hmm. It's a job. You're teaching your children mm-hmm. and you know, you don't have time to go out with your friends during the day. You don't have time for coffee, you know, long coffees and nice cafes. All that goes out the window. It's you're 24 seven with your children and it can be challenging for some people. For myself, it wasn't. I, I loved it. I actually really loved it. So you have to really educate yourself, I think, and just understand um, why you're doing this. Because when those difficult days come, there will be some. It's life. You want to have a conviction there. You want to, You always want to know why. Why there's no other choice. Why this. You know why you've chosen to homeschool. You want to keep that fresh in your mind. And I also think it's it's a good idea to have, um, I don't like to call it a mission statement, but I think just to really put down in writing what your priorities in your homeschool are and, you know, like love of learning, character development, just find a few words that can really sum up what you wish to accomplish and when you have difficult days to go back to that, because I don't, I think if I were going to do it over and I definitely on the days where I felt overwhelmed and challenged, I, I would not have given those days that same kind of importance today. I think I would have just been a lot more um, relaxed when I was homeschooling in the earlier days because you realize you just realize children learn what they need to learn. They get what they're going to get and that there's no point worrying about it as long as you're doing your best and as long as you're creating that kind of environment for them where they will thrive. And you really can't do any more than that. There's not going to be any perfect homeschool. There are no perfect us. And we, we have to be realistic about who our children are and just allow them to be their own individuals and not, not put our own expectations upon them. And I think the more we can just go with the flow to some degree, the better ambiance we'll create in our homeschools for our children. Jazakala for listening. We can't tell you how much you appreciate taking the time out to listen to Fikri. To learn more, please visit our website at www.fikri.net check out our Facebook page. Uh, And as always, please keep us in your prayers and in your thoughts. Love you all. Assalamu alaikum. Take it easy. You're still young. That's your fault. There's so much you have to know.